Welcome back, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I am Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW, that's Licensed Independent Clinical Social Worker, and CST, ASEC Certified Sex Therapist. And um, I'm a sex-positive kind of gal, and I'm here with my lovely producer, Vicki. Hello. Oh, lovely. <laughs> there you are. How are you? I'm good. Oh, good, good, good. So just uh, to state the mission, the mission of sex and couples therapy is to help individuals, couples and families embrace and integrate sex positive thinking into daily life for optimal health, including sexual health and wellness. We go for annual mammograms, gynecological exams and prostate exams. Say that three times fast. For physical sexual health, we owe ourselves checkups on the emotional and mental health aspects of sexual health for optimal health and wellness. So how's it going, my dear? It goes. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, who knows? It goes. Great. What's going on? It's a gorgeous day out. It's a beautiful huh? day. Just, I'm just happy it's nice outside. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm actually going to make the time today. Probably like you, I hope like you, to get outside in the sun. Yeah, once we're done recording today, I think I'm going to actually go have my lunch outside. Oh, nice. Me too. Yeah. Good thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, th- so we're focusing on part two of our mental health podcast mm-hmm. because May is mental health month, right? Yes, it is. And uh, I think part of that is doing what you and I are doing today, which is going outside and enjoying the weather, right? Mm-hmm. It's a good way to increase mental health. Yeah, okay. I mean, vitamin D for sure. Gotta right? get that it, vitamin it, uh, D, you know. Gotta, gotta get that vitamin D, yeah. So how how you doing? What you been doing? What you been up to? Not much. Just no? getting ready for the warmer weather, enjoying. I've been trying to purge my closet, which is Ooh. very necessary. <laughs> Yeah, doesn't that feel good when you do that? It does. I have a weird sentimental attachment to t-shirts and sweatshirts, especially the really well, old worn in ones. So I've been trying really hard. I don't really think that's hard. weird. I, yeah. I think that's normal. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I just think it's, I was like, why am I so attached to these, these items of clothing? Well, I mean, they are, um, you know, it's that you're sort of attached to these objects um, and you've had them a long time and they mean something to you. And they're just really comfy. It's really comfy. So, but I'm trying to be better about going through and, you know, the ones that have a lot of holes in them, it's time for them to be repurposed into rags and all that stuff. Mm. So, (laughs) Rags and riches, we hope. How about you? How about me? Uh, What am I doing? Well, uh... I'm walking. Uh, what am I doing? I'm reading. I'm, you know, right now it's, we are waiting for the verdict of the Derek Chauvin trial. Mm-hmm. So I've been uh, really very attentive to the trial um, and writing and working and um, socializing because now I'm fully vaccinated. So I've been able to see other fully vaccinated family members and friends. So this is like, wow. Talk about mental health. This has been really good for my mental health. How about you? That's awesome. I'm also fully vaccinated. Um, I just hit my immunity day last weekend. So. Oh, yay. Yeah. Good. Oh, we'll be able to see each other then. Soon. Soon, soon. Because mm. mm. as some of our 
Uh, repeat listeners probably know we don't do this together. We're doing this online, right, on the computer. Seeing each other's faces, which is great, but not in the same room. So I think we've only been in the same room, what, a handful of times, you and I, maybe. Yeah, and I think especially when we really started recording for your podcast, it was right at the start of COVID. So we didn't even, yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's crazy yeah. to think about. It sure is. It sure is. Um, yeah. So, so getting together is going to be exciting because it's connection, right? It's a way of just kind of celebrating life, you know, connect, social connection is so important. I mean, I think people like me who are therapists and sex therapists and couples therapists, we are all about connection, right? With partner, with family, with friends, it just makes us feel good. Um, and it's good for our health. It's good for our mental health and physical health. Um, and sexual health, you know, and all of that is, is good stuff. Um, so, so let's sort of dive in, shall we? Let's. <laughs> so last time we were talking a little bit about this idea of, um, in sex and couples therapy, we can do an exploration of belief systems, right? Developed throughout our childhood and adolescence, looking at messages we received. And lots of the messages we received don't necessarily make us feel good. They're not optimal for our mental health, right? Like... If uh, we are sort of denied, perhaps through religious teachings, you know, our right, our birthright to, to our sexuality, which feels good and, and can be a wonderful thing, um, you know, that, that we want to start thinking differently so that we can have optimal health and better connection with our partner and enjoy sex. Um, and sex just it isn't just about intercourse, it's intimacy, right? So it's, it's anything and everything that is consensual between partners that feels great um, or feels at least good. <laughs> um, so, you know, in, in the spirit of that, we can keep uh, that which works, you know, that some of our foundational beliefs do work for us. I mean, I have couples coming in who are together 30 years and they hit a bump. So obviously they're doing something right to stay together that long. Uh, so I want to build on that foundation, but we can also discard that which is counterproductive. And I, I give folks more productive strategies to have their relationships just functioning better. You know, when you think about your individual health, uh, you want to be functioning better. You want to be brushing your teeth every day, right? So so you don't get gum disease. You want to be doing certain things that lead to better outcomes for, for a health picture. And it's the same thing with couples and, and our sexual health. Um, so we can discard that which is counterproductive from the old habits rooted in these belief systems. Um, and I've talked about this before. You know, Peggy Kleinplatz, um, Dr. Kleinplatz, she's just wonderful. And uh, she's a sex therapist and a doctor, and, and she talks about the elements that um, really help our sexual health outcomes, therefore mental health outcomes, um, and relationship outcomes. So developing the ability to be vulnerable, developing authenticity, uh, the ability to take risks with our partner. It's not easy stuff, right? But But what I do with couples is take them through a process of some number of months, you know, anywhere from you know, three to six months on average so that they can get better at these things, develop new habits, um, uh, developing communication skills and the ability to manage conflict. Um, empathy is really important too, right? So developing empathy, uh, being able to create a safe space for your partner to be able to do all that stuff I just mentioned. So um, we talked a lot about in the last podcast, um, 
how if it starts with the individual and then between two people where we can create something loving and wonderful, we can uh, sort of make that grow out to community and the world. Because we were talking about the other, fear of the other, the amygdala and how that, you know, the, the amygdala when it goes on alert, right, the fight or flight response, you know, we that happens often in response to the other. So people who look different from us, people of color, um, you know, BIPOC populations, um, LGBTQIA, if you're heterosexual. You know, we live in a heteronormative world, folks. You know, we base everything on whether or not, you know, something is, you know, if you're heterosexual, you're considered normal. Well, you know, that's just not true. I mean, as you and I always say, everything is normal, right? So I want to, as I'm speaking with my clients and supporting them, normalize every um, sort of sexual identity, gender identity, and and all of that stuff uh, that's so important to be self-accepting, accepting of partners, accepting of family, community, and the world. Right? So ways we can develop ourselves um, in the face of some of the problems that, that people are coming in with with their partners um, is understanding this amygdala, right? Uh, I, I like to create this uh, no-blame, no-shame zone um, in sex and couples therapy where... We understand that if we're reacting to our partner, rather than reacting, um, I want people to learn how to respond. Right. She's shaking her head, everybody. Sorry, I took a sip of water. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's good. It's good for your health. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. So rather than being so reactive, what we can do concretely is take a breath. Zip the lip. Listen to your partner. And in fact, you can even go the extra mile, practice active communication and say to your partner. So if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, you are saying that you don't like it when I say I'm going to take out the trash and then I don't. Am I getting it? And your partner can say, yes, you're getting it. But um, I said something else. And you can say, well, what, what am I missing? What else did you say? And your partner might say, I'm really mad about it. And so you then would say, okay, so you're saying that you're mad that I made a promise and didn't keep it. Is that right? And then if your partner says, yes, you know, you got it. Now, you don't have to like it. You don't have to agree. This is dialectics, right? So we can hold two opposing ideas at the same time. Welcome to the world, everybody. (laughs) Uh, We often... Think very differently. And this is the beauty of being in relationship with our partners. You know, they are not like us, right? They are not us. They are not our twin. So how do we manage? How do we negotiate differing points of view? So it's kind of like Schnark and his example of conjoined twins. So as a couple, we can think of ourselves as conjoined twins in that imagine, so imagine I'm, I'm one conjoined twin and I'm not very comfortable. And all of a sudden I'm thinking to get more comfortable, I want to roll over, right? And my twin is suddenly made uncomfortable by the fact that I roll over to get more comfortable. And, and they say, hey, yeah, what are you doing? I'm not, you know, ah, really uncomfortable that you just rolled over. And I'm thinking... Well, wait a minute. I was just trying to get more comfortable. So so it's kind of an interesting metaphor, the conjoined twin metaphor. It's interesting because we can do things like not see not or not see or not take what our partner does so personally. 
Um, you know, they're just coping with their own stuff, their own anxiety about life. Maybe they're avoiding things or, you know, pursuing things. Um, and, and we can just begin to see the relationship like conjoined twins, which is that we affect each other. But, you know, we, we can we can see things differently. We can take things less personally. Um, we can stop making so many assumptions. This goes to the heart of uh, the book by Don Miguel Ruiz called The Four Agreements. Um, that's a wonderful book for starting to to shift expectations, right? Getting back to that idea. Um, we have to begin to learn to regulate our emotions in relationships. So feelings are important, but not as important as we think they are. What is also just as important, (laughs) just as important, as important are the choices we make and what we do, right? So, So doing can shift how we feel. If we do differently, we feel differently. It kind of goes back to what you were talking about, Vicky, or what we were talking about in the last podcast about if you're going to experience the pain, make it pay off. Right. It's, it's probably best. So this idea that making a different choice can help us feel better and and think differently so we can take it from the end. Like imagine for a second, cognitive behavioral therapy is looking at how we think, because how we think makes us feel a certain way. And then from how we feel, we we do what we do or we make the choices we make. Right. So Mm -hmm. uh, here's a simple example. I might've used this before. You know, if I am not taking a vacation anytime soon, I might be feeling sort of pre-exhausted, post-exhausted, currently exhausted, Mm -hmm. all of that. When I start to think about scheduling a vacation and time away, see what happens. I start to feel lighter and I start to maybe act differently or look differently. I look lighter. So if I do something different, like plan the vacation, I'm going to feel differently, right? And I'm going to think differently too, which makes everybody happier. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think it's important. And I think it also goes hand in hand with something that you've said before that sometimes our, our feelings don't always have something to do with what directly happened in front of us. There's extra stories that we tell ourselves in our head that affect how we think and how we feel and, and you know, kind of what comes out. And I think that does that play a part into this as well? Oh, sure. The narrative. Oh, the narrative. That's what I couldn't think of the word. (laughs) No, no, that's okay. Story narrative. It's the same thing. The story we tell ourselves or the narratives we carry. Yes. I think we did a a blog on that too. Um, The narrative we carry about ourselves, about our lives. Uh, Lots of folks come to therapy. Like, you know, I did when I was young in my twenties, you know, I thought I was the only one dealing with this thing, Mm. (laughs) this problem, this situation. Well, it's so human and it's so normal. And it's, you know, we are all going through uh, mostly quite a lot of the same things. Again, you know, hearkening back to our last podcast, unless you're born with white skin, you're not going through what someone who was born with um, a skin of color is going through. Mm. Um, so that that's where it's a little bit different. But but mostly we all have stresses. We experience losses. We experience some level of worry, you know, fear, worry, anxiety, all of that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So. So learning to regulate our emotions is is really important. And then learning new behaviors, including, as I was talking about, those active communication skills um, for for better 
Yeah, just a better relationship and greater intimacy. So communication and intimacy are usually the main goals people are coming in um, with their complaints about that they want to improve. And interestingly, what's so great is that talking about intimacy, which is not just intercourse, it's it's all manner of intimacy and connecting for couples, um, improves communication. It's just a byproduct, which is great. So so it's a it's a it's a two for one. Um, (laughs) And learning to tolerate our anxiety while things are getting better is part of the process of sex and couples therapy. Well, because it'll it helps you grow, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in my own partnership of 23 years, boy, have I grown and changed. I mean, my own expectations, core belief systems, the story I carried, my narrative, it's all changed. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to say it's all changed. I mean, a lot of it has changed. Uh, and if we listen to voices of experience and reason, this can be very helpful. So as a 60-year-old clinician, um, it, it's a nice place to be because I've experienced a lot in life and I've heard many stories and, and I've been able, I've been lucky enough to bear witness to my uh, patients and my clients stuff so that I, I, I have, uh, I suppose I could write a book someday, but it's, it's really interesting to, to be sitting in, in that vantage point to see how normal so much is. And I think something else that's tough is, is with something like anxiety, it might hinder your, your want to practice or to try something, but the more you practice and the more you do it, the easier it will become. And once you're practicing mm. and doing that, the the more you practice and the more you try, the more natural it'll also come to you so that you actually can see that growth happening step by step. Yeah. And it makes me think of what you said in our last podcast about mental health accountability. You know, when we can become accountable for the mistakes we make, mm. we're all flawed, right? I'm a human. You're a human. We all make mistakes. Um, Boy, does that boy does that translate into less anxiety? You know, and it's it's the opposite. It's counterintuitive. We think that if we are going to become accountable and say, "I'm sorry, I messed up," you know, the world is going to fall apart. But people actually, the opposite is that that they have great uh, respect. I think for for people who can say, "Wow, I'm so sorry, I I messed up." Um, please, can you forgive me? I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's more likely to, to be given the forgiveness if you're accountable, as opposed to being in the defensive position, which is the thing that comes naturally, and it's understandable. You know, again, it's this idea of the amygdala, and imagine we get in the car, right, and we turn on the gas, and um, we drive. If we are not steering, so the engine is like the amygdala, it does what it does naturally. But what comes naturally in relationship often is not what is helpful. We have to really be thinking and making effort and doing differently. And that involves the prefrontal cortex right here in the front. And that's the steering wheel. So we have to really put in effort to drive in the direction we want to go if we want greater intimacy and communication. And that includes accountability. That includes growing empathy, creating a safe space, all that stuff. Standing up for ourselves too, you know. Um, there are injustices in relationship and, and we have to be able to say, hey, this doesn't feel good to me. You know, here's what I need or want. 
you it's good to say that it doesn't mean your partner is always going to be able to give it to you so sometimes if they don't now that's another problem but giving and receiving are important elements to be thinking about in relationship um if a, a partner says hey i want to plant this plant but i need your help uh to move the stone because it's too heavy for me um if your partner says sure that's going to go very nicely, right? If your partner says, well, you know, not really into moving the stone. I'm not so sure that, you know, I want to do that just because you're asking me. You know, that's not going to go as well. Right. <laughs> right. Now, if you really can't move the stone because you got to run to work, you can say, look, I can't move the stone now, but how about later? You know, 24 hours, right? You know, come back to it in 24 hours. Absolutely. A lot of tools. Yeah. Um, so practicing, you know, learning how to tolerate your anxiety while things get better. We can watch the improvement develop, likely in about three to six months, sometimes more, sometimes less. Again, beginning, middle and end for folks. I say to people, please think of it as an investment, even if your insurance won't cover it. Think of it as that investment in your relationship for the long term, for your lifetime, possibly. And speaking of forgiveness, you know, asking for forgiveness, the ability to forgive ourselves is also key. So forgiving ourselves, forgiving our partners. Sometimes I, I see and I have so much empathy for my clients if, if they have, for example, broken the boundary of monogamy in the relationship. You know, there's a lot of difficulty forgiving oneself. Um, but that's a really important part of this. And there's a great book on my website, Robin Kasarjian. Uh, forgiveness, a bold choice for a peaceful heart. What a beautiful book all about anxiety and, you know, exercises literally, um, you know, in this, I don't know how much it costs, but boy, is it worth it. <laughs> Just ways of thinking about how to forgive ourselves when it's really difficult or how to forgive our partners. She talks about forgiving partners, forgiving parents, forgiving children. Um, it's just a beautiful read. For so. Forgiveness is such a, such a deep intertwined topic on so many different levels for so many different things that it's a good book. It's on the website. You can go to Donna's literature recommendations page and purchase it directly through the website. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. We have that now, don't we? We do. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. That's really fun. Check it out. Check it out. Actually, there's a, another book I'm going to be putting on there. I don't know if I have it on there yet, but Eli Finkel. Eli Finkel, The All or Nothing Marriage. What a fascinating read. I think I that think one's on, on there. Oh, is it? I think so. Oh, you're right. It is. It is yeah. just recently. Um, yeah. And speaking about expectations, right? Shifting expectations. He talks about how we have such expectations for our partner. Esther Perel talks about this too. Um, you know, we expect our partner to be our best friend, our cheerleader, our support system, our parents, our, you know, partner, our everything. And that's just too much pressure in relationship. So what a nice way to think of it is, is that imagine that, you know, your partner chooses to share their life with you. How lovely. Let's show up as lovely people so that your partner wants to be with you so that you want to be with your partner, right? We, sh we shouldn't have such high expectations. You know, get a life, you know, you and I, right? We, we love our work. We love what we do. Hopefully you, you have a, a very rich existence individually, as do I. And we don't want to be so dependent on our partner for our happiness. We need to really develop ourselves. 
right? So what are the ways to develop ourselves and have better mental health, um, which benefits us individually, our relationships, relationships with family, friends, community, and the world? Um, connection, right? Keeping that connection going. I'm often talking with folks about planning dates, uh, planning intimacy, um, pleasure, play, and passion, right? Is the motto. <laughs> It's good for your health, mental health, sexual health. On that note, I want to talk about, you know, we've talked about differences in, de in desire, mm -hmm. right? Discrepancies in desire. So, so causes of, of um, low desire um, can be uh, problems in sexual development for people. Um, so I ask about, you know, if they, if they consent that they'll tell me, uh, you know, it, when they started self-touching, for example, mm -hmm. when their first age of sexual consent, uh, sorry, consenting uh, sexual experience was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's the by the way, the the average age um, of first sexual con sexually consenting experience is 16. So that could be anywhere from. You know, fifteen to seventeen. You know, that like that, to that you see that people have their first experience themselves consenting to having sex. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. The 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 sorry. The average age of people doing that is approximately gotcha. sixteen. Okay. Um, and so, uh, if if the development is much later in life, then there's less experience, right? So that can lead to issues in relationship. Where if we don't know our bodies well enough, or we we're not as practiced, right? It's like if you want to be a great saxophone player, you know, you got to practice, right? So uh, you got to pull out the instrument and, uh, you know, practice. Give it a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> give, it, give it a whirl, babe. Um, so, you know, uh, sexual development uh, can, can be connected to lower desire. You know, sexual trauma can be connected to that. A lack of imagination can be connected to that. So we want to be really developing our imaginations to become better lovers, partners, lovers to ourselves and all. Um, having an, a sex negative perspective, which can be rooted, as we talked about, in sort of, you know, the messages we've gotten early on, whether it's from family or, you know, uh, religion, etc. Um, fear of the erotic self, right? Sometimes mm. we're just kind of afraid, right, of, of eroticism and what that means. And is that okay? Um, and again, you know, anxiety. Um, Lots of this, uh, these elements are related to instances of uh, sort of a decline in in desire um, or sexuality. Mm -hmm. So moving on, um, you know, connection is important. Planning dates, partner intimacy, connection to purpose and meaning through work and volunteerism. Right. So, so this is so. It's not just related to your relationship, but with your partner. Although that's what I focus on quite often, but relationships with ourselves and developing ourselves. Um, you know, I know you're a music fan, right? You're big music an art fan. fan. <laughs> big music fan, me too. Uh, big art fan, you know, um, you know, engage in that. Listen to music. Uh, go look at art. Um, read books to stimulate your imagination. You know, even novels are really important to understand the human condition. I recommend that a lot. Um, you know, developing our curiosity, our interests, those are positive emotions, getting curious and learning about things that's stimulating. And it's um, important. It's important to have things that you enjoy individually and also yes. enjoy with your partner. Right. So I think something else that's important yes. is as we're talking about all these things, these are things that you can also do for yourself, but also with your partner. And, you know, if my partner likes chocolate ice cream and I like chocolate chip ice cream, 
right? That doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. I can't like chocolate chip ice cream because he likes chocolate ice cream. It just means like maybe we both do things together. And I think sometimes I I hear a lot or just from being on Instagram and, you know, managing your Instagram and, and reading things there, I'm seeing more and more people talking about you can enjoy things without your partner. But also you want to include oh. your partner, but you know, your, your partner is not necessarily completely, um, responsible for your happiness. And I feel like these are kind of touching on the things that we're talking about here. And it's just nice. Mm. There's just a, a note on my own end. Just, it's nice to see it all kind of yeah. come together. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're right about all of that. Um, I agree. And I, I recommend that people have friends of the opposite gender. You know, I want women to have male friends. I want men to have, you know, women friends. You know, as long as they are in agreement with the boundaries in their relationship, you know, that, that it's really important because it enriches our experience. You know, as a woman, I'm ex- I'm enriched by the experience of men. And that's why I have male friends. I'm enriched by my female friends, too. Right. Um, I'm enriched by my transgender friends. I'm enriched by my, you know, LGBTQIA friends. I'm enriched by everybody who's different. Um, and, yeah. It's just really nice. But it, it brings outside experiences and perspectives in, in ways that if you and your partner are kind of in your own bubble of just two people, you won't, you wouldn't necessarily gain those other um, experiences that you guys mm-hmm. can then like either talk about or, you know, if, mm-hmm. if you only read sci-fi novels and your partner only reads sci-fi novels, neither of you might not think to check out something else, you know, so it just helps. Oh, I read this or I watched this or I heard this and it gives you guys, you know, a nice little refresh. Oh, yeah. And learning and being stimulated. And yeah, absolutely. Um, And other ways to to keep our mental health uh, in check. Uh, Good nutrition, of course, you know, getting activity, um, exposure. We talked about this in the last podcast, you know, getting your sunlight right as we're going to do after the recording today for our vitamin D. Uh, good sleep, really important, you know, trying to shoot for seven to nine hours. I notice as I get older, that's not happening as much. <laughs> Boy, I used to be a good sleeper. Not not as much anymore. But, you know, at least getting near to seven is good um, so that we are re- rested, refreshed, feeling good. And and just very uh, quickly, can I go through those sort of ways to Absolutely. behave there? Do we have a little we more have time? Some time. I know we have to... Mm-hmm. Okay. So again, um, the idea of, of making a choice to act with integrity, which includes transparency. And if you're not sure how to do that, read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's on the website. Excellent book. Um, I, I thought of um, living by the golden rule, you know, treating others as you wish to be treated. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, you know, it's a way to be able to sleep at night. Which I find more is more and more important all the time. Um Know the Mark Twain quote. (laughs) I say this to my clients all the time. He said, I lived my life worrying about things that never actually happened. Now, you know, he was white, right? So he was born white as I am and and you are, Vicky. And so we are born with the good fort, well, with the fortune of um, being able to walk through the world in white skin. Um, And he also said, travel to other cultures, right, to other lands, exotic, near and far, is fatal. Travel is fatal to prejudice, bigotry, and narrow-mindedness. So when we expose ourselves to people who are different, you know, when we immerse ourselves in other cultures and, and peoples, we are enriched. 
So, so this is very important for, for our mental health. Um, try new things, foods, experiences, people, music, places. You know, I know it's COVID, but I really urge people to travel. You know, one thing that I think is, is unfortunate is that when people wait to travel till they retire, sometimes they're not well enough to travel. So if you can do it while you're young, start doing it because it's so wonderful, so enriching. Um, you know, try to experience some pleasure every day. You know, make a little bit of time to, you know, sit outside or uh, whatever it might be that feels good to you. You know, intimacy, right, with your partner, intimacy with yourself, uh, self-touch. That's a really handy way to experience pleasure. Um, but, you know, reading reading something that you enjoy, even, you know, watching a, a show you enjoy is good. Well, and especially right now, I know we're still we're still in COVID, you know, and, and I think there's something that I another thing that I saw that's we need to stop glorifying working extra, extra hours and like always being burnt out and always, it's not always a sign of, um, it's not always positive, right? You working hard does not necessarily mean you have to be burnt out and and all these different types of things. They take such a toll on your mental health. So every day taking time to do something for yourself that is for yourself is just mentally, like that's just the best thing that you can do. Well, it's working smarter, not harder. Mm -hmm. You know, if we if we're lucky enough to be in that position where we can do that, yeah. Um, and and yeah, like you just said, um, yeah, work hard but take time off for pleasure and play, build creativity, imagination, and a good imagination is the key to magnificent sex. Um, and you know, like Dr. Ruth said, the most important six inches is the ones between your ears. And let's see, what else did I want to say? Uh, you know, stay in school, folks. Um, you know, whether you're a musician, you know, an artist, a, bi- a business person, a, you know, a teacher, whatever, you're a therapist, a creative, you know, whatever it is that you want to do with your life, eight hours a day, five days a week for 20 to 40 years. Um, for me, it's 42 years now working and still working. Um, get good at it. Study it. Um you know, do what you love so that you love doing it. <laughs> Makes sense. It's important. <laughs> um, it's important, you know, and then the better we get at things, the more we can share our talents uh, and our knowledge with others. And it just it just fills us with such a sense of gratification that, you know, not only are we maybe making more money to support ourselves, but enjoying our work life, feeling good all day about, you know, how we're spending our time and leaving a positive legacy. So those were my thoughts about mental health part two in the month of May. And um, I think that might be a place to sort of wrap up. So too. I think I like, I like talking about these things with you and and hearing you kind of go through all the different things that people can do, you know, at home to, to start doing these things and to start doing better by themselves to, you know, to help help them grow and and just help them get the most out of every interaction, whether that be themselves with their partner, with the person at the grocery store. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. And it just does a really good job of helping fight that stigma that mental health carries. And I think that's important that we continue to do that. Yeah. And one last thing I want to say, you know, we are negatively biased. Um, There's a guy named Rick Hansen who who wrote a book called The Buddha Brain. And, you know, he talks about how we are just set up 
you know, uh, biologically, it's really, really hard. Uh, those amygdalas are are strong operators, mm -hmm. so that lots of us just see the world very negatively, and we really have to work and put in a lot of effort to start to see the good, to start to see the silver lining, the positive, and we can we can change how we think. I mean, I will just tell you very transparently that I had a lot of anxiety in my twenties and my early thirties and beyond. And today I am no longer really an anxious person uh, because I've just done so much work on myself, um, really putting more positive neurons in my neural pathways, studying, being a lifelong learner. Um, so I'm sort of proof. Again, I'm lucky, right? I'm white and I'm, you know, sort of born of parents who were pretty smart and great people, although I know that now. I didn't know that then. <laughs> Had a lot of problems with them then. That's how but, it works. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, that's how it works. But but anyway, I think making the effort to kind of see the beauty in the world is so important. But then we can show up for our partners in that way. Um, and just we can have more agency, more power to have things go well. And that's also a big part of what I work on with my couples, you know, having them see their agency and their power. And so they can create some lovely moments, right? Express appreciation, express gratefulness, thank your partner. You know, notice the the flowers out there. Don't don't be looking at the weeds all the time, right? So All right, well thank you so much for tuning in, Vicky. Thank you so much for always having such a nice conversation with me. Thank you. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. So if you guys want to look at Facebook, feel free to check out the Sex and Couples Therapist on there. I'm on Instagram as the Happy Ending Therapist. Feel free to call the office at 508-990-9909. And the website is www.sexandcouplestherapy.com. So have a wonderful day, everyone. And remember to always make time for pleasure, play, and passion. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>